Vice Nation. Greetings and salutations, Device Nation. You're home for the greatest show on earth. That show is Medical Device Sales. This is your home for ideas, stories, and interviews to take you from good to great. Kevin Brown here, your fearless leader in times of tumult. What are we talking about today? We are going to talk about the actual exchange of features and benefits between you and an HCP regarding a product they currently do not employ. And then we're going to talk about what does that look like in a territory planning scenario. Somebody asked me about that on LinkedIn. So without further ado, quick review. We talked about how at least in orthopedic recon, and I don't know how this applies to your world, but in my neck of the woods, less than 5% of what I do is that exchange It's the other 95% of what I do that prepares me for that 5%. And that 5% is actually the easy part. And I'm going to walk you through that today, how to make a sales presentation that is typical in medical device, and then break it down how to do that. And then we're going to talk about when you should do that in the scope of your territory. So let's talk first about wisdom versus knowledge, because it does tie into this. So knowledge is that collection of scraps of paper involving features. Maybe it's things about the customer that you know, things about the account that you're aware of. Knowledge fills this giant file cabinet that never gets completely filled up in this business. Every day, you're always acquiring more and putting more into it. That's why we read journals. That's why we read R-Y Ortho. I don't know how they pronounce that. Rye Ortho. I always look at their webpage, just checking out what's going on. I'm always putting pieces of paper in that file cabinet. And while knowledge is great, it's not knowledge that carries the day in this business. It is wisdom because wisdom is what tells you what file to take out of that file cabinet and when. That's important. When do you do it? How do you do it? All those things. Wisdom without knowledge doesn't really do much, but knowledge without wisdom is dangerous because then you end up either, A, dumping the file cabinet on people's heads and hoping that that works out, or you just alienate people because of your lack of timing and just reading the room, right? That's where wisdom comes in. EQ. EQ comes from wisdom, not necessarily knowledge. So what we're after is both. We're going to open up the wisdom aspect later, but on the knowledge part, when you are making a sales presentation, you've got to be able to be ready to go as deep and as wide as that customer wants to go. You've got to study, ask a lot of questions, and be ready to make that exchange. So how do we make that exchange It's actually pretty simple. I learned it from, I've been in sales my whole life, but I just got this aha moment watching Pitchman. Check it out on YouTube. It's just an amazing show. Billy Mays, the OxyClean guy with the blue shirt and the amazing beard. Uh, I hate him for that. Everybody's got beards now and I can't even grow one and I'm 55. It's, It's maddening. But him and Anthony Sullivan would do this show traveling the country about things that they wanted to sell on their you know, kind of TV commercial thing that they did. 
And it was just fascinating to see things not only at the inventor level, but then what it took to get it to the TV space and then what it looked like to sell the product from that perspective and then what made a success and what was a little shaky. And their personalities were just amazing. Check these guys out. And I'll never forget, Billy Mays was at a trade show and I believe it was Philadelphia. This guy was uh, an inventor, and he gave Billy all the features and benefits of his product. I mean, obviously, he knew if Billy Mays uh, has some buy-in on this thing that he's set for life. And Billy Mays was very, very patient with him, but finally interrupted him and said, look, I get all that. But he said, where's the wow? He said, I've got 30 seconds to convince somebody to get off their couch and call this number and order this product from me. And I, I felt like Marlon Brando in Apocalypse Now, that is the silver bullet that got me right in the forehead. Whether you're looking at a house, I've bought cars this way. Isn't it true that you know in about 60 seconds to two minutes, if that's what you really want to do? I've noticed even when I met my wife, I mean, I dated other girls, but when I met her 34, 35 years ago, I knew she was the one. And like a couple minutes. I don't understand that, but that's the way a lot of people are. So why do I bring this up? Well, you have to find out, number one, what is the wow for your product that you're showing? And a lot of times that can be obvious. Let's say it's a very non-complicated thing. There's only one application for it, and there's clearly two or three things about it that make it spectacular. Other things get a little bit more complicated. Maybe you've got a T-lift set. Maybe you've got a pacemaker. Maybe you've got a revision hip. And, and there's like 50 things you could talk about. And that's dumping the, the file cabinet on their head. Can't do that. So you have to find out what would be the top two or three things that you think would grab that customer's attention. In those particular situations where the product is a little complex, you need to do a little pre-qualification. And you know, if I had a cruciate retaining knee and it had something that was very awesome about it, but I haven't done any work and realized this guy's a cruciate sacrificing guy, then I'm wasting his time and mine. So you got to do some work and see what of those wows will fit into their space. So once you've done that, finding a way to present those wows in less than two or three minutes, that is the trick because we ramble. And that's why we don't drink a lot of caffeine, nicotine, or any of these meth before we go into a sales call, because your ability to present something succinctly and coherently diminishes with each additional unit of caffeine or any other stimulant. You can talk your way out, right out of a sale. And, and I'm so guilty of this, just going in there and just my natural energy level, just being jacked up and just rambling. By the end, I don't even know what I said. So practice that on somebody. And let's go back just a second. I want to talk about the wow. If you don't absolutely know the wow, young Padawan, you call your product manager, you call your territory manager, find out who in this country has had the most success with this product or who in your distributorship has the, had the most experience with it and success. Ask them. You know, we make a lot of uh, calls with products and it, usually after a couple sales calls, you can kind of see what gets people's attention and what doesn't. And I know medical device reps love sharing that uh, for people on their teams. 
and across the country. So use that, leverage that. Don't just try to reinvent the wheel on your own terms and just look at a brochure and go, okay, the brochure says X, Y, and Z. You've got a lot of times just one shot at this, that first initial, because you show somebody something, you can't turn around and show it to them next week. That would be weird. It may be months, it may be a year or longer, if ever, if you show it to them again. So you need that best foot forward and don't just walk in there half cocked. Do some work, get your wow down and practice presenting it to your wife, your husband, your coworker. Uh, try to Twitterize your communication of those wows into a two or three minute presentation. This is good stuff. I mean, it's amazing how much filler we can put in uh, to our presentations unless we are just kind of actively subjecting it to scrutiny and trying to cut all that out purposely. All right. Now, why is this two to three minute thing? I mean, a lot of you go, you know, I just got back from sales training from such and such a company. And, you know, we did these role plays and we had 30 minutes. You know what? I love those kind of sales presentations. You get somebody out after clinic to a meeting and those are wonderful. You can do the deep dive and that is certainly an ideal situation. But we all know there are a lot of HCPs out there that don't like to travel they are very uh, family devoted and they don't have a lot of time afterwards that they're willing to give anybody. So your opportunity to present them uh, anything is going to necessarily be limited to brief snapshots of time. And that is how you do it. It's just that simple. So looking at a territory, you know, how do we rotate those presentations around? I think that one of the challenges of medical device is the long-term selling cycle of many of the products that we carry, the high service level that it requires, which can cut into your selling ability. And to some degree, and I got this little tidbit from a corporate conversation I had the other day. It was just awesome. The service aspect of this job can lull us into not looking at our territory and go, who are we not calling on and making these two to three minute presentations to, right? We can easily uh, go, well, you know, this guy's been trained on X and he's used this his whole life and it's a long selling cycle. And then we end up not calling on them at all. And uh, the friend I talked to on the phone, he just really challenged me just to think about all the surgeons in your area, all the HCPs that you are not calling on. You have not called on them in a month, two months, six months, maybe even a year. So I just want to challenge you and challenge myself. Find something in your product line as you wander through your territory. Make it a point. Be intentional about it. There's a good buzzword for you. Let's have some intentionality. And let's just say, okay, every two months, let's just try that. Every two months, I want to show something to this group of people that I have never called on or barely called on, just something that I know will not upset their apple cart with who they're using now for a product, whatever, fill in the blank. Every person listening to this podcast has products like that, that don't challenge the status quo, that are actually very useful. Sometimes it takes some digging to find out what those products are, but they're there. So the challenge is don't get sucked into the tyranny of the urgent and the, the service call patterns that we have. But break out of them, set aside a day where maybe your surgery schedule is light, and just make it a point of trying to cross paths with that person. 
Nobody enters into a long-term relationship if they don't even know the name of the person. Nobody just introduces themselves at the altar while they're exchanging rings. And your customers are no different than that. If you're expecting some big commitment on one of the bigger commitment items in your bag, I promise you it's going to take some dating and some heavy petting, so to speak, (laughs) to get you there, right? Let's just start with them knowing your name, knowing who you are, knowing you're competent, and actually doing something with you in the OR or outside of the OR, just something. Every relationship begins with that single step and, for lack of a better word, a, a kind of a dating period. And you got to be careful in this business. You can't come in heavy-handed like that, but just little things here and there. And after a while, at least you have somewhat of a relationship with this person, which sets you up in case anything goes sideways with them on the product they're currently using, right? It's all about being uh, the guy, the girl in the batter's box. So I hope that helped. And i tell you what, this working on this truncated presentation, so to speak, can be very challenging. It can be very challenging, but if you practice at it and it's going to change how you do things. And I've tried to always have a couple in my pocket so that if I do cross paths with somebody that doesn't use anything of mine and there's this, uh, you know, the stars align and there you are in the break room and you're having a conversation and let's say the door opens up for that, then you're ready to go. I always tell young reps, practice these conversations, these sales pitches on your most friendly surgeons, your most friendly HCPs first. Okay. I can't stress that enough because then by the time you get to the person who really doesn't care that much for you because they don't know you, you're going to be a little bit more polished in your stick and you're going to put on a better face. I don't want to put on a bad face and an unprepared face if, if that's going to happen with that person. The person that's, and to just metaphorically speak, a family member, right, is going to give you a lot more grace than somebody that doesn't use anything of yours. So I always try to practice and work on my presentation with people that are quote unquote family members first. And then that helps me. So by the time I get to that fourth or that fifth, back and forth, I'm already prepared for some of the questions that may come, and then I'm smoother about it. And again, I'm projecting confidence to a person who does not have confidence in me because they've never had an opportunity to have that confidence, right? They've not done any cases with me. So anyhow, I hope that helps. That's the admonition for the day, the 5%. And I know we could go much deeper in sales presentations. That was a very cliff's note version of it, but it works for me. Give it a try. If you got any questions about it or what that looks like in a little bit more detail, throw a question at me to devicenation at protonmail.com. So exciting, exciting interview today. Device Nation. Myrtle Beach is a really cool place, man. We're on the same boat here, getting places for ourselves here. That's Um, cool. The medical community here is really good, so I think it's going to be a great place to settle down when you're old and gray. (laughs) That's Uh, right. That's now. (laughs) Yes, I know. (laughs) 
So let's give a big Device Nation welcome to Paul Scamardi. I've had the pleasure of connecting with him through some real estate stuff that my wife does here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And Paul, I'm just really excited to hear what you're doing in the cardiac space. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Kevin. I really appreciate it. So take me on the path that got you to this really cool nerdy stuff you're doing now. How did you get into medical device? You know, what got you here? So my first foray into medical device was with Depew Spine and the orthopedic and spine bases. And the way I kind of got into that, I sort of fell into it uh, by training orthopedically trained physical therapists, if that means anything. (laughs) And as you know, surgeons are creatures of habit and they don't like a lot of change, right? Right. So I've known this particular spine surgeon for probably 30 years. He was the team doctor of my high school football team. Right. And uh, out of the blue one day, I get a call from him and he asked me what I was doing. And I told him and he said, do you ever want to get into spine sales? And I said, Sure, absolutely. And he said, okay, let me make a phone call. Now, mind you, I haven't talked to this guy in probably 10 years. And uh, he just called me out of the blue. Every now and again, I would, you know, stay in touch with him. I don't know. But I hadn't talked to him for 10 years. So he called me and I said, sure. And then I get a call from Depew Spine. And uh, the guy, his name was Kevin also. He says, Paul, I got to ask you. When Dr. Ward told me about you and told me that I need to call you, of course, I was going to do that. But Dr. Ward doesn't say that about anybody ever, right? He asked me how I knew him. And, um, you know, I told him and I said, I've known him for a long time. And he said, well, if Dr. Ward recommends somebody, I definitely call them. So then we met and I got the job. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the more I ask around and just personal experience over the years, there is so much of a networking aspect to landing in this world, isn't it? Absolutely. And it's kind of like, you know, we talked a little bit about before, always be building. The old sales thing is always be closing, always be closing. And that's great. But I'm like, always be building, always be building your network, always be building your network. And oh, yeah, did I say always be building your network? (laughs) (laughs) Because you never know who you're going to run into. You never know who you're going to be working for or with. You know, with the age of social media and internet and things like that, the world has become a very small place. I got to ask the learning curve. I know the learning curve in orthopedic recon is pretty, it takes a long time, probably five years before you really completely have your arms around some things. And then the rest of your life is spent mastering the rest. What is it in spine? I mean, is it a, a quick ramp up or is it like that? Does it just take a long time? In my opinion, it takes a while. And this is the reason. A neurosurgeon once told me this, and I agree with him totally. He said, we operate on and around very expensive real estate, (laughs) to use an analogy from your wife. And what he means by that is we expose the spinal cord, right? The spinal nerves, the peripheral nerve, the spinal nerves are exposed, especially if you're doing a posterior, uh, you know, laminectomy, a cervical laminectomy. I mean, that thing is right there. An instrument falls in there or something goes awry. It's devastating, you know, so that's why he called it very expensive real estate. (laughs) Oh, that's good. That's a good line. So tell me, how did you like it? How'd you like being a spine rep? I did. It's not an easy job. 
right? The demands of the job are very difficult, not only with the procedures and the gaining of trust with the surgeons, but just the day-to-day logistics, you know, SPD and getting your instruments washed, you know, put back in the trays and off to the next hospital unless they have loaners there, you know. But I enjoyed it because after you do a certain number of procedures, the doc becomes pretty proficient with your instrumentation and things. But as you know, the staff is not. And during a case, intra-case, they will change out because the one, you know, scrub tech got to go to lunch. Right. Then it's your job, as I do now in, in my current position, you have to get that scrub up to speed of where we are in the procedure and always, always be one step ahead. And if you're good at it, you'll get a lot of respect and the doctor will trust you. So that's kind of right. like what I like about it. Along with you, you got to know your anatomy and all that other stuff too. There's obviously some fateful day here in your spine career when something pops up on your windshield that uh, takes you to, I'm assuming, the next step, which is the space you're in now. Tell me about that. So prior to me being in spine, I was in the cardiovascular space, right? And like I said, I have an orthopedic background, so I wanted to experience the spine space, and it was kind of going back to my roots, so to speak. And then with a lot of things, there's a lot of contracts that are, you know, this business is very contract driven, especially when you have multiple players in one space. And I always say pricing is a race to the bottom. So, you know, in the spine space in in my territory, in, in more than my territory, we lost a lot of contracts and things like that. And I always kept in touch with my cardiovascular contacts and things and before the hammer came down, what happened was they dissolved our distributorship because we couldn't do business at the pricing that the hospitals wanted to pay. We didn't tell them what our price was. The hospital told us what they were willing to pay. And as you know, some company will come in there and do the case for that amount of money. The Pew just decided that we weren't going to do that. So I got a call from a friend of mine and uh, asked me if I was interested in a startup. It was kind of good timing. And I said, yes. And then I asked what it was. And he said, look, it's not for me because there's a lot of travel involved. But if you want this job, you know, I can hook you up with the right person. So I kind of did a little research and things and I jumped in with both feet. And that was three years ago. It was a big risk because a CEA, as we talked, is the gold standard. and has been done that way, the same way for 60 years. And nothing has been able to give it any competition, no innovation in that space because they didn't need any. And when you say that you're going to go up against the gold standard that's been around for 60 years, it scares a lot of people away. Not only, you know, potential employees, but surgeons too. They're like, you guys are full of crap. <laughs> right. You know? So before we go any further on that, CEA for the audience, what does that stand so, for? So CEA stands for carotid endarterectomy. And that is when you have carotid disease, you're at risk for a stroke. And a vascular surgeon will perform a carotid endarterectomy where he or she will take the plaque out. It's an old operation, but it works really well. Okay. So now where are you going with it? Uh, You've got this new procedure. So yes, we made this procedure up and we have specifically designed supplies for it and You know, like I said, there's a lot of skepticism out there. Surgeons are creatures of habit. They don't like necessarily new things, especially when they're, you know, we were basically calling their baby ugly, right? Right. Because if you ask 10 vascular surgeons what their favorite procedure to do is or why they became a vascular surgeon, nine of them will tell you it's because a CEA is elegant 
It's challenging. It's difficult. And I love it. <laughs> yeah. So here we go coming to say, hey, why don't you do TCAR instead of CEA? And they look at you like you have three heads. That was three years ago. So y'all got a bunch of cases in the can now across the United States. Have y'all been doing it longer outside of the United States or has it been pretty much just all here? So it's all here. I think in 2020, we're going to enter the European market and Asian markets. We're over 17,000 cases now, I last count. And the stroke rate has remained flat. It's less than 1% and it has the lowest stroke rate of any carotid procedure to date. That speaks volumes because when you have 17,000 procedures, you know, the likelihood of your stroke rate going up, you know, it's higher because you have more patients and more operators, right? But it has remained flat. And that speaks to the reproducibility of it, the ease of the procedure, and it just works. So how long, um, I mean, I'm speaking from a bonehead, so to speak. <laughs> how long does this procedure take? Is uh, it a shorter case than the CEA or is it longer? Yes. So a seasoned vascular surgeon can do a CEA in about an hour, hour and 15 minutes. You know, a guy two, three years out of fellowship, it'll take him two hours or longer. This procedure for everybody be 45 minutes skin to skin. Wow. It's easy on the patient, it's easy on the doc, and it's easy on the staff, and it's fully reimbursed by CMS, which makes, uh, you know. That's huge. Makes it a little better. It's just really, really good. It's really good. That, that reimbursement is a huge hurdle. I mean, I've seen a lot of technology over the years come out, and the only thing that really kept it from getting any traction was reimbursement. That, that was it. Other than you know, that, it was a great solution. I want to speak to that. I think it's a bygone era where a company invents something or comes out with something and the benefits, you know, they want it premium for a premium, but there's no hard reimbursement. So they'll go to some soft reimbursements such as, yeah, but your patient may not come back or your patient can go home quicker. Although that procedure or that device is not directly reimbursed, they use indirect reimbursement, indirect ways to try to spin it to make it seem like it's profitable. I think that's a bygone era now. With so many new devices and such new technology coming out, you really have to have your ducks in a row and make sure that CMS is on board to reimburse that procedure or that device specifically because hospitals need to keep their lights on. And I totally get it. I remember on this hospital TV show and the the guy playing the hospital administrator, he said to a doctor, this thing doesn't run on air. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of truth to that. So tell me the name of the company. The company's name is called Silk Road Medical. Okay. Is it publicly traded yet? Yes, we are public. We went public in April of 2019. Okay. That stuff's good to know. Always looking at interesting stock opportunities out there. So we'll definitely check that out. So what is your role now with this company? I mean, are you nationwide? Do you have a defined territory that you're have, working? And Yeah, I have a defined geography. It's smaller as of February, but it was very, very large and it's still quite large. I mean, I'm in a place now, I'm four, four hours away from where I live. And I haven't been home since Tuesday. So, and I'll get home tomorrow night. You know, it is what it is. A lot of these small startups, you have large geographies, you work hard, you play hard, and you work hard because that's just the nature of the beast now. It's just there, you know. This job, or I would say a startup in general, is not for everybody, but this startup is like a startup on steroids. 
it's got to be a lot of fun. I mean, I'm kind it of is. excited for you. It is. The, it's great fun. Because, you know, how many times do you get a call from a surgeon and they say, you don't know me, but I'm at this particular hospital. you got to get here because i got to find out how i got to get trained. I want to do this procedure. I want to bring it to my hospital, my patients, and my community. How often do you get those calls? Never. Right. <laughs> And we do. And we do. And it's, that's a really gratifying, cool thing to experience. So I know with some companies, when they bring a new technology on the market for a surgeon to be able to access it, they have to go through a certification program where yes. they're formally trained. And then other times they bring products out and in service and the, the break room is, will suffice. Where are y'all on that? So when CMS approved us, they said, yes, we'll approve you. The data looks good, but we want you to come up with a formal training course. And we want every surgeon that's going to do this to take your formal training course. So that's what we did. And no, not to toot uh, Silk Road's horn, but every surgeon that I've sent has said, that's the best course I've ever gone to. Wow. Big deal. It's a big deal because these guys go to courses all the time. You know, that's a big deal. So do y'all have like a specimen lab at your place or do you take them down to that place in so, Miami or? No, we use an orthopedic bioskills laboratory in Chicago. Okay. And we used to bring in full body pressurized cadavers, but that's when we had 10 to 12 people at a course. And then it got really expensive because each course we have now, we train 30 to 40 docs. So now we use a cut down model and things like that. But before we had full body pressurized cadavers. Uh, specimen labs are just insanely expensive to yes. put on. Somebody's going to hit it out of the park when they can figure out a way around that with the same touch and feel. I know people are working on that, but in the meantime, it is what it is and we have to just work with it. We used to use sawbone models when I was in spine. Oh, you know? yeah. <laughs> you remember that? <laughs> oh, yeah. Vacuumed up many a dust storm from those things and tried to get it all out of the tray before I put it into Central using those same instruments. So tell me, you know, a lot of people that I've been talking to lately on LinkedIn and that are interested in coming into device, especially the younger crowd, is there anything that you could tell them specifically about A, how to get into it and B, you know, when you and I were talking the other day about millennials and just some of the, the challenges with some of the hires that we've both seen, how to get in it, but once you're in it, how to flourish in it. Any sage wisdom you want to throw our way? So one of the things that I talk about to prospective new hires in medical device or any sales job in general is number one, you really got to want it. And I'll be able to see that right away in an interview process. And number two, you need to shadow a rep in any space that you may be interested in and see what they actually do on a day-to-day basis. Because I think that's very, very important because sometimes there's some lonely days out there, man, and you're in the bowels of some hospital trying to put some trays back together again and everybody's gone for the day. And uh, it can be a lonely place. It's not always glamorous. And, you know, I don't have any sympathy for somebody that says, well, I was in a hospital till late one night or whatever, because I've been there and done that. And I think the biggest thing that we can do is be honest with these people. And then if they come, like, I almost want to try to scare them away a little bit. And if they come back at me saying, I understand that, I want this, then I know that they're jumping in with both feet. So build your network, shadow, and really, really want it. Having a passion for it and loving it covers a lot of stuff, doesn't it? I mean, because you're going to have horrible, 
horrible days and days you just want to resign. Yeah. I've had my own moments when I probably quit a hundred times in my mind because of this thing or that thing. But what always brought me back is just what you said. It's a passion for what I'm doing and I love it. It's insanely rewarding, but at the same time, it can be insanely challenging some days. But if you're dispassionate about it, I don't think you survive the downtimes. No, I agree with you. You know, people ask me what I do and sometimes I say, I tell brain surgeons what to do and they listen. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that is awesome. They actually listen. You know, this isn't brain surgery. Well, it's not brain surgery, but a brain surgeon does this sometimes, you know? So, uh, (laughs) yeah, I tell brain surgeons what to do and they actually listen. That's pretty cool. That's fun. I tell you what, I, one thing I'm taking from this that I am putting in my file cabinet is the to try to scare them off a new hire and just see if they come back. I mean, yeah. I'm a pretty nice guy and I try to be pleasant to most people. I'm trying to figure out what that would look like for me personally. But well, I agree, I think- there's got to be some mechanism to kind of filter out the people that are in it because they have this glamorized view of what a yeah. device rep is. Yes. And then the nuts and bolts reality of what we have to do every day. And it's, you just be honest, just be brutally honest. And you don't have to sensationalize things. You just tell them like it is. And if they come back at you, then you know, you got something. You know, I've done a lot of interviewing with Silk Road. And, and one of the things I say is, I don't want somebody to be running away from another company. I want them running to Silk Road. And there's a difference. And you can really see the difference. Um, (laughs) I interviewed a girl one time and she told me, she said, I don't know where I will be working in three months, but it won't be for Medtronic. And I said, okay. Right then I just started eating my lunch because I was tuning her out because basically she was running away from Medtronic. But I want people to want to run to Silk Road and be part of this game-changing train and jump on this rocket ship and contribute to stroke prevention and do whatever it takes to get here. And that's a little bit of a different attitude. (laughs) I love that line, by the way. I'm trying to picture this because, you know, part of interviewing for a job is that you want to marry that person, right? It's very much like that. It's very much like a dating thing. You really want to exchange rings with that company. And I'm trying to picture that girl. If you were to just change some of the variables here and she's saying, you know, I don't know who I'm going to be dating in three months, but you know, it's not going to be this guy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's not exactly a, Hey, I really want to take you out to dinner this weekend and let's do something. You know, that's the most noncommittal thing I think I've ever heard. And she's a seasoned rep. And you know, you, in my opinion, you should kind of know better than that. I imagine you're looking for people that have experience and I'm just curious how those people would connect with you. That is true. That is true. You know, relationships do mean something. It's just like somebody who works for us, wants to go sell sports medicine anchors for the Pew Tech. You know, it might be a tough thing because they may not know anybody in that space. Not to say that they can't do it, because obviously if you're bringing in a young kid, they don't know anything, right? But you can find some diamonds in the rough. To answer your question, now we have about 90 field people. And I think there are 35 area managers and the rest are clinical reps. So I have a team of myself and two others. I have two clinicals that work alongside me. And then I manage a bunch of other clinical reps also. But when I came on board, Kevin, there were 35 people in the whole company. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's in the home office. 
I think there were 17 reps across the country. And now we're over 200 people in the company. And like I said, I think it's 90 or close to 90 field people. So the growth has been crazy. Just a lot of excitement and buzz and having a product that's really unique. And a lot of people that you're working with that are passionate about it. That's living large right there. Of course. And then, you know, of course, people, when you're at the top, I I guess, uh, you know, people try to knock you off and say, well, there's going to be competition coming. And of course, that's life. That's the nature of the beast, right? But when you're, you know, you're first to market and, and you've done as many cases as we have done, it cements yourself as a, as a leader in that space. And as you know, you know, surgeons are pretty loyal people. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's true. So they're pretty loyal. Um, it's been a fun ride. It's been a very fun ride. How complex is your space with this procedure? I mean, is it pretty deep and wide? So it is, it can be. So, you know, we have to read CT scans because we evaluate every case to say yes or no, this is a good candidate or this is not a good candidate. And your ability to do so gets you a lot of trust from the physician. There are certain anatomical things that a patient has to have. The bottom line is this, if we screw this up, we could stroke a patient out. And that is not a good day. That's not a fun time. If you would happen to have a heart attack, right, you can live a normal life following an MI. If you have a major stroke, it's pretty difficult to live a normal life, you know? So the stakes are high and we take every precaution. The training program is extremely intense as it should be because we're very protective of this procedure. We're very protective of the outcomes, right? Because we have to be. And, you know, the biggest thing I could say is, yes, we are heavily involved and the docs rely on us. Staff relies on us because the stakes are high. Let's face it, you know? Yeah. The end organ is the brain. That's the part of this job that a lot of people that are not in the industry that have a somewhat glamorized view of it don't have their arms completely around is the stress that we carry around every day, knowing that some of the things that we do could actually affect a patient's outcome, doing it right and making sure all our Mm -hmm. T's are crossed and I's are dotted. That's a tough thing we carry around and you care about the patient, which uh, you have to do this job. Of course. I mean, you know, with hips and knees, there's a disarticulation of the hip. People have to go back for revisions. You know, that's awful. But things aren't done properly, missed sizing or whatever. But that's what the the people, as you say, have this glamorized view of it. Don't really see because it could be you, your fault as the rep, (laughs) you know. This is awesome stuff, man. It's pretty cool, huh? <laughs> it's very cool. I love the nerdy part of my job, and I love the what you're doing over there at Silk Road. It's, it's super cool stuff, and it, I love what y'all were doing for patients. And I'm excited for you having the fun of running around with a shiny new toy to show people. Absolutely. Well, Paul, thank you so much for coming on Device Nation. I really appreciate it. Any parting shots, thoughts, uh, anything to our listening audience before we close up shop? Well, I would say if you're over 50, make sure you go to your primary care doc, have them put a stethoscope on your neck and screen you for carotid disease because you never know what's lurking. (laughs) You know, great advice. Paul, I thoroughly enjoyed talking with you, buddy. Yes, I appreciate it. Very, very much so. I wish you the best and I wish you great success with this product and I hope you have a wonderful weekend, sir. Thank you again. Thanks, Kevin. Again. That was an awesome time with Paul. Really enjoyed that. It's always exciting to see people 
get into this business and then able to transition over to an exciting startup and basically just go around and introduce a new procedure to people. That's super, super fun. Okay, two quick things. Number one, Device Nation at protonmail.com. Send me questions about medical device, getting into it, getting out of it, navigating through it, good times, bad times, anything. I'm looking forward to do an episode comprised entirely of, within my humble limitations, answering what I can and uh, maybe kicking around to other people things that I can't to try to get you an answer. There's that. And then there is kind of the sales challenge for your week. You know, we talked about it earlier in the episode, looking at your landscape, your territory, and how do we get a zero to at least a one, okay? Again, nobody enters into a serious relationship without that first step. Hi, my name is blah, 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 right? So let's just try to take over the next month, week, tomorrow maybe, just intentionally go out of our way to introduce a non-threatening product to somebody that doesn't even know your name. Start that process, and sometimes you'd be very surprised where it leads. I will leave you with this story. I had a surgeon that I called on for quite some time, got absolutely nowhere. I even had the OR director at this particular hospital would not even let me through the front door. I tried everything would not talk to me. But I kept coming back because I was young and stupid and I just didn't know any better. I just kept running into this brick wall. One day I stopped by his office and he asked me to come to the back room. And I was like, wow, something's up. Uh, He sat me down and said that he had had some serious service issues with the company he had been working with and was going to give me all of it. Now, on the outside, I was keeping it together just trying to maintain composure. On the inside, there was a mariachi band going on. There was confetti. It was just nuts. And he went on to be a a very good friend and a, a great customer over the years. But I thought, had I just sat back and thought, you know, I've got guys to take care of, that uh, use my stuff and I'm just going to focus on them and and not made the effort to take somebody from a zero to just a one, right? You're not going in there and asking for some big ticket item, just something small. What do they call an American Pickers? Smalls. You're after smalls, right? If I hadn't have done that, then I never would have at least opened up the opportunity for something like that to happen. So that's all of our challenge, me especially. Don't get lulled into just taking care of what we have and just writing other people off. Let's make a conscious effort to go out and introduce ourselves, shake a hand, and show something, anything. And I just showed you how to show it. So let me know how that works, by the way. I want to hear some feedback. Uh, You know, your Billy Mays sales presentation. I want to hear how it went. Good, bad, ugly, whatever. We're looking for feedback. So hope you have an awesome week all. And as always, be aware and be safe. Device Nation. 